everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. We can't believe it either. Gab, what are you drinking? I am drinking a little whiskey and a little Coca-Cola. What are you enjoying? I'm drinking water because I had ramen for dinner tonight and the salt in my body is off the charts. So, <laughs> I made a soup tonight or today, earlier this afternoon. I really wanted to go to Benihana um, for like a mid-afternoon meal, but no, I couldn't find anybody to go with me. So I ended up just making the Benihana soup, um, that mushroom onion soup thing that they have. But I think I put too much bouillon in my soup because it was so extremely salty. Wow. You didn't like just thin it out with some water? or Well, I mean, I will, but not the like serving that i had oh okay i just went for it with my serving Uh uh-huh i've never been to benihana oh have you ever been to a hibachi yeah yeah yeah. i've been to that style place where they like bring out the meat and there's a little show and you all yeah 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 yeah. you don't have to go to benihana i i would recommend going to not benihana it's just in portland we don't have any options but benihana and it's really fucking annoying that sucks I went to a really good Korean barbecue this past weekend and like some other fancy places. So I've been, you know, I've been living it up. You and your foodie adventures. Um, What do you think is your favorite food destination so far that you've experienced in life? As a city to eat in? Sure. Like a place, a, a city that you would go for just the food if you if it was the grossest weather outside and all of the museums and things were closed what city would you go back to just for the food just for the food i would be picking between new york and la and i think i would pick la with apologies to new york what about la do you like i was just in la this week i was just in la um for olympic qualifiers you were in la like two weeks ago yeah uh i like koreatown (laughs) (laughs) oh 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 koreatown in new york at least in manhattan is nothing it's like literally one street i think all the like the actual korean community you know whoever immigrated to new york they probably are somewhere in the outer boroughs that's my maybe where you would get like a really good Korean family style restaurant, but in Manhattan, which I realize isn't, it's not representative of the whole city, but it's a big church. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas in Los Angeles, Koreatown, whoo, although I've been told it's getting gentrified there on the list. Now people are moving in. People discovered Koreatown, I guess, who were not Koreans. I, but, but right now you can go there and it's nice and like, if you wanted to, you could just go and pretend that you were living in Korea. How? What? How? What? Like, you could walk around speaking nothing but Korean and find uh, businesses okay. that would Okay. Yeah. I was like, I don't understand how you would go and pretend that you lived in Korea. You would never have to break out of, like, just living in your little Korean life there. Were you right Were now. you able to practice your language? Uh yes, I was a little bit. Your your language skills that you're working on? Mostly in restaurants, yeah. A little cool. bit. Cool. Maybe we should like hang out in person someday. Maybe we'll go to some of the limited Korean barbecue options in Portland and I'll practice ordering food. I also don't have the list of topics right in front of me and I keep sinking further and further into my sofa. So I'm gonna have to readjust here shortly or else I'm gonna be horizontal and we all know that that can lead to sleepy time pretty quickly you know what i sank deep into this past week or so even though i was partially on vacation it's the u.s women's national team lawsuit how's that for a segue (laughs) i set you up for it with my sinking into i hope you're comfortable on the couch didn't you get a new one no not yet um this one this one's a little janky it's uh it's like I want to say like seven or eight years old. It doesn't quite fit my new apartment that well. And so I want to get like a traditional, like long, just one sided couch. Mm-hmm. This one's like a L. It's got um, one part where you can like sit with your legs stretched out. 
Yeah, so I just want to get like a normal sofa, I think, mm. and live a normal life where I live mm-hmm. and work in the same space, mm-hmm. and I never leave. <laughs> you sound except like me. when I, except when I hop on an airplane to fly anywhere in the country at a moment's notice. Right. So like me, I I just I don't want to leave this office where I have my coffee and my snacks and the internet, and then like there's a bed a room away for when I can't do internet anymore. I don't buy myself snacks though. I I only buy myself like fruits and vegetables. Oh. So I have a ton of berries and a ton of fruit and a ton of veggies. And so it's like when I made soup, it was like a vegetable soup with chicken bouillon. What's not so I'm healthy? Trying my hardest to be a little bit healthier because of the stupid virus. What's not so healthy <laughs> is this <laughs> conflict between the national team and U.S. soccer. It actually was kind of gross because they came out of the deposition phase, and it seems like the tack that U.S. soccer is taking is they're really hammering on this. The men's and the women's teams are not doing the same job. And they're not doing the same job because men have to be faster and stronger. So they have different skill set to the women. And their lawyer spent a lot of time interviewing the women's team players, trying to bait them into admitting that, you know, none of them would ever be as strong or as fast as a man. So therefore, none of them could ever do a man's job. And that the women's team would never be able to compete against men's teams. And basically trying to get away from the concept that the job is representing the United States at soccer under the control of the U.S. Soccer Federation. And trying to move it towards, like, the men's job is to play men's soccer and play other men's teams. And the women's job is to play women's soccer and play other women's teams. Therefore, they're two different things. And I think Carly Lloyd was pointing out, like, yeah, but if we were both lawyers, like, we're not doing two different jobs because we're both lawyers working for the same firm. You know what I'm saying? I I thought that the players did a very good job of answering those questions. I, I did think that there were times when... They would get stuck or not the players themselves, but that U.S. soccer's defense had quotes that they were taking. I don't want to say out of context, but they they had evidence. They had information that they were pulling from other interviews or from, you know, uh, the industry just kind of talking about like how easy women's soccer is for the United States and how difficult men's soccer is and i i remember the the suno uh quote where he was basically like we never i never would have agreed to and i never would have um advocated for the women to get paid the same as men because the women are much more likely to succeed whereas the men have a much more difficult path or something like that it's like that's not fair like that's just not the way to do it if it's two different sports it shouldn't be called one nation one team right so from a legal point of view i understand why they're having to take that tack because that's the case law here like you have to be able to show these things in order to win your case and this is how they decided to do it but it's really really gross and no matter who wins the lawsuit in the future I really think it's going to make things much worse in the relationship between the teams and the Federation. Whoever wins in the future, anytime there's some kind of disagreement, they're going to be like, hey, remember that time that you basically tried to discredit our entire sport as being equivalent to the men's team in order to win your case? Like, what was up with that, guys? And it's not just the team. U.S. soccer is never going... I don't want to say never, but for a while, no fan is ever going to assume that they're operating in good faith. Like, they already have such a bad reputation among fans that it is for a variety of reasons. But after this, they're not going to have a single inch of wiggle room in the public eye. But what do they need wiggle room for in the public eye? 
like they're not really a nonprofit that falls under the federal government's purview. Like they're sitting on a stockpile of cash already. They're not in our communities trying to grow the game or build up the sport or do grassroots anything. They're a pay to play system. Like I don't understand why we are, why they would want, to retain any credit like why would that be a goal for them i mean on on the one hand i do think you're right like they can do all the shit they want but fans are still going to turn up to see the women's national team until fans like start to create that divide in their mind between like if i pay for this ticket that's going in u.s soccer's pocket it's not all going to the players they can kind of operate a little bit with impunity because people are still gonna buy jerseys and come to games for sure. People are still going to buy jerseys because there's there's this powerful thing that's much bigger than the crest. And it's this wave of public opinion about the players and people care about the players and they're on the player side. But honestly, like U.S. soccer is doing a stand up job. It's gross. It's disgusting, but it's a winning argument. And I think it's winning, especially given today's government, today's judicial system and the way that you know i don't think uh the supreme court if u.s soccer and the players want to argue this all the way to the supreme court i don't think it's on the player's side today's supreme court now who knows when it would actually make it there and who would actually be um on the bench when when that happens but it's gross and it's disgusting and it's really a reflection of the way um men and women are viewed in the workplace right now i read their players filing as well and i just don't think it's as winning as you think it is i don't think the player side is as winning as the u.s soccer side Mm. like i think the players are winning in in public opinion no because the case law that they cited was pretty good i thought some yeah so in the areas that we're talking about on the podcast, I actually don't think we as soccer's argument is that strong. The places where they might win are things like revenue generation and things like that, which also, mm-hmm. once again, might the players might be able to get to a point where they're like, yeah, but you've told us that some can't divide men's and women's national team revenue. So all they have to go on is things like ticket sales, that stuff that you directly control and U.S. soccer straight up admitted in the past five years, the women's national team has made more money. I'm just, I'm just saying that like the way things are being decided today and the way that I am reading, like what the courts seem to be upholding stacks more cards in U.S. soccer's favor. Right. But the last decision that we got from a court was actually it landed pretty well on the women's side where they were um i think it was the one they were arguing for class certification it was the one where the court opinion basically came out and said it's not that the women have been paid an overall sum that is greater than the men's we have to go by the rate of compensation because if the women are having to do a lot more work to make the same amount of money, then yes, that is, you know, a point in favor of their argument that some kind of gender-based discrimination is happening. I mean, there we go. It wasn't like a death knell or anything, but it was definitely like not automatically. Oh yeah. U.S. soccer is right. They have paid the women more money. The men do make more revenue. Case closed. You know? Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm not saying by any means that this is cut and dry. I just, I've, read a few pieces in the last week or so that made it seem like this is a slam dunk for the women's national team and i don't think that's necessarily the case no i don't think it's a slam dunk i think a lot of it's going to depend on a judge that can you know take into account all the context there's a lot of material that was not published Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of material. There were a lot of depositions. I think they were, like, the attachments ran into the hundreds. Because it's the discovery phase, right? So they're discovering everything relevant to this case. And that includes player depositions and, like, the men's and the women's CBAs have been put out there. 
um, and a whole host of other stuff. So there's a lot of data to sift through. And I think a lot will also depend on whether, for example, U.S. soccer will make some argument about the men bringing in more revenue. But you and I know to ask, well, how much money did you spend on marketing men's versus women's events? Right? Yes. Things like that. So what's the actual return on interest here? You can't just use, like, cut and dry revenue figures. You have to take into account a lot of the context, and not just financial, but, like, the history of the sport and your treatment of it over the past couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends, I think, on partially on, on whether they get someone who's going to be able to take that context into account. Like, when you say... what they get someone you're meaning like, like a, a judge. judge yeah and then or like an expert with witness who can provide that type of context yeah yeah and then going forward if it ends up going to like a jury trial a jury that like a, a jury trial that actually has to decide this stuff because in this case both of them ask for summary judgment which is basically like hey pick me pick my side and then if either side prevails on that summary judgment then all you a jury has to decide is like how much the winner gets. For example, the women's team won. They would be like, oh, we've already decided that the women are correct. Jury, all you have to decide is how much money they get for being correct. I was on one of those juries. Yeah? How much money did you hand out? Uh, Free money. Not very much. Oh. It, it was it was uh, money for, um, like, a medical thing. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and so we had like a simple math formula that was like, how many days of work did that person uh, miss because yeah. of the medical thing? Of course, like formulas. That's what's going on. I think it's not really a slam dunk for the U.S. women's team legally. I liked a lot of the case law that they cited, but I fully admit I'm already a little bit emotionally biased to be like, yeah, of course that's right. You know? <laughs> what and of course you biased and of course u.s soccer is gonna provide their own experts and their side of the case um i i'm just intrigued by like if the women's national team prevails and they get all the money that they say that they're owed not just in terms of back pay but in terms of liquidated and punitive damages they could be looking at over a hundred million dollars and U.S. And soccer that, barely has that. Doesn't U.S. soccer have like three hundred million? No, I think they said the the latest figure that I would I remember from like the reserves like a hundred and fifty million. Yeah, but the reserves they um, still have like an operating cash flow of like right. But also, first of all, we don't know how liquid they are. Second right. of all, I also don't think if the women's national team won a hundred million dollar settlement. That they would just be like, all right, we want that as a lump sum. I think they would use that. I think realistically, they possibly would settle for a lower number, but be like, hey, we were good sports about it. So we're going to use that as leverage in our next discussion about money or whatever else we want from you. For sure. They would probably settle for a much lower number. Right. And knowing that U.S. soccer, instead of paying us now, pay, pay it forward. Yeah, exactly. They're going to use it to get like some crazy good CBA next time around or something like that. CBA or like investment back into like youth soccer or NWSL, I don't know. Yeah, like there are a lot of different ways they could they could do this. Right. It couldn't be directly to NWSL, I think, because even the women's team is arguing like you can't bring NWSL into this, like all the money that you give people in NWSL, because that is a different job. Like, for yes. once, that is a different job that they're doing. <laughs> but, yeah, something that could somehow, like, ripple out and have positive effects on the league or youth soccer. Yeah, sure. I'm sure they're thinking sure. about it now. Yeah, they could be like, all right, cool. We want an ESPN deal. We want we want some to, like, spend actually 50% of their time advocating for us. Right. You Like, you have and- to guarantee that half of the marketing budget is now used on us or something like that. Yes, 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 yes. Good luck to the women's national team. There is happier news, though, in women's soccer in the United States. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> what What is happier than a lawsuit with your employer? 
I think it would be NWSL finally announcing that they have a real commissioner whose title is commissioner and not like someone who performs the job of commissioner but doesn't get to have the name commissioner. What? That's ridiculous. Right? So today, Grant Wall broke on Sports Illustrated that Lisa Baird is the new NWSL commissioner. And then the league followed up just a little bit later. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that so NWSL? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing they could do, right? Because Grant got Lisa Baird. I bet the league kind of poked around to a couple of people and they were like, hey, um, it's going to be this person. So maybe you should get that all settled before we make our announcement. Because, you know, it made the rounds. It did um, Sports Illustrated. I think AP had something. So, you know, it's news and it's not the worst news. Baird seems to have a pretty good resume in terms of business like i immediately went to her linkedin thanks internet (laughs) (laughs) and you know she's um had stints with a couple of major companies and she's recently coming from new york public radio as their uh cmo but yeah she's worked with the u.s olympic committee um she's been around the women's sports foundation she's worked for the nfl so she has like a decent idea of sports in general and then specifically kind of the broader strokes of the history of women's soccer for the last five to ten years. Probably Shardy has an idea. So I think that's a pretty good get. I I really enjoy the way you say the word sports in there um, because I, I think that that also encompasses kind of what I gather from her resume is that she does understand sports. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of learning that needs to happen. And I hope that the NWSL league office um, has a team in place that can help her truly understand like the qualities that make women's soccer interesting and different in this country and not just, you know, try to sign up every single, like granted, I, I realize I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth because I'm like, Oh my God, why doesn't the league get more sponsors? But at the same time, I'm like, I want them to get the right sponsors. Like, right. I don't want them to just get sponsors that then change the flavor of the league. Well, right. You don't want like the NRA as a sponsor. Correct. So I don't think Mega Rapino wants the NRA as a sponsor either, though, so I think we might be safe there. So here's what she told Grant. Uh, she said, I have a lot of experience building brands, building digital extensions of brands, building social communities around the game and rivalries. So that sounds okay to me, especially the thing around... Okay. Uh, around three things that she mentioned there that make me optimistic um brands particularly the digital extension part of brands social communities around the game and rivalries specifically and then um the digital part of it where so apparently she has a child or someone in her family who works in esports because obviously we also did a deep dive on our twitter immediately (laughs) and um you know she's liked some stuff related to esports uh, there was one article from the AP that was in her likes pretty recently about how uh, Faker, who's a League of Legends player, is taking a, a stake in ownership, um, I think, of his team. Uh, so she's and, – and I this plays into the recent announcement where the league is close to making a deal, I think, with CBS um, and Twitch. And yes. Twitch obviously being one of the biggest platforms right now that streams games and gamers. Uh, and it's like moving into broadcasting other stuff. They just made a deal with the NWHL. And I really like what NWHL is doing with them where they'll have like players and stuff on stream. And it's not just straight up like a raw feed of the game. So I think she might understand how to really build NWSL's digital reach. Which is really interesting because it's it feels almost like 
NWSL's digital reach is it's like unique fingerprint already. Like, like I get that she'll be able to build it and make it like bigger and everything, but I feel like NWSL already has a strong um, international uh, presence or like the fan base is very international, um, likes things put on digital platforms because of that um, either international, but also just accessibility uh, uh, situation. I don't know. It's, it's interesting that that's something that could be like on steroids with her. Yeah. And then the, the brand part, because this league does not have a strong brand identity. I think I remember doing a really informal fan poll a couple of years ago. It was in the first three or four years of the league. And it was kind of like some standard brand stuff, like name the first three words that come to mind when you think of NWSL. And a lot of it was like struggling, growing, young, stuff like that. And I'm not super sure how much of that has changed over the past four or five years. Obviously, maybe like another poll would be helpful. I don't know. Um how much demo data the league is collecting at the moment but you know she's in marketing and branding so she's probably going to be like hey guys i need more data does it bother you at all that a marketing and branding person is now kind of sort of running operations like we have kind we have struggled with putting together um finals that have like pizzazz and maybe maybe that is marketing and less like operations but it just makes me wonder who's gonna solve the operations problems right all the logistical stuff like why can't we get the schedule sooner although i don't think that's like the biggest logistical thing but it is a symptom you're right i i think part of that is just NWSL has always had a really small front office, even with the help of U.S. soccer crossing over. And then, you know, those years where they had NWSL media through A&E in New York, they've never really had a lot of personnel. And so whether they did things in-house or were outsourcing them, like that one year when the breakers folded unexpectedly and they had to outsource the schedule because it then became too complicated for them to do in-house. I'm glad that you can laugh about that year now. (laughs) Look, it's either laugh or sit here in the dark and keep crying. And crying gives me a headache. (laughs) I'm glad that crying gives you a headache so you don't do it. I also feel very therapeutic to me. It is, but you know me. I I have to. I give my one cry a year to something important, and it was the breakers a few years ago. Yeah, we'll see what it is this year. Maybe retroactively, it'll be Parasite winning all the Oscars. Anyway, I hope that part of this is hiring a lot of people in the front office. We got good signs in that they seem to have found someone who's stabilizing the communications position. I don't know how aware fans are of this and probably not very aware because why would they be? But in 2019, there was a literal revolving door of comms people at NWSL. Like you, sometimes it felt like from week to week, you didn't know who to get hold of in order to talk about league stuff. That's an exaggeration, but that really is how it felt sometimes like that chaotic. And I don't think that that was an isolated part of NWSL's front office. So I'm hoping that they surround her with the proper support so that she can focus on the business side and maybe they can have someone else in there who's strong on the logistics side. Maybe someone who's worked with the league, like internal that they're promoting, Uh who has like seen all the snafus with the finals and stuff. And it's like, okay, this is what we need to do in case there's like a hurricane or something. And this is what went wrong here. And this is how we can maximize this stadium and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Let's not set off uh, fireworks as the players are walking onto the pitch. Right. And trigger Casey Short's asthma. Yep. Let's not do that. Mm. It would, I, I am hopeful that they are great, that they have people on staff and they can retain people on staff who can do those things. And I'm hopeful that the owners have gotten together and they've realized, or they have figured out, maybe not realized is the wrong word because it makes it sound like they were oblivious to it, but I'm hopeful that they have been able to figure out a way to come together to be able to fund the league front office 
in such a way where it now becomes sustainable. Hopefully someday it becomes a desirable um, role or position uh, to, to be able to, to manage or do some of those big things. I'm very intrigued to see how long um, she stays in the role. I think it's going to be pretty telling. Like she's here for years, presumably eight, nine and 10. And, um, you know, if she can make it the three years or if she stays for three years and gets NWSL the year 10, how many teams are in the league at that point? I would love to see her stay for a minimum of three years, obviously doing a good job in those three years in order to really solidify some business partnerships with the league. Um, and also to establish herself as being able to push back on the owners and the board of directors and stuff. I can't say for certain, but it does feel like Amanda Duffy never really had the power to like create a singular voice that directed the league. It was kind of like, I don't know, maybe she had to, I don't want to say appease, but she had to keep the owners happy and like maybe their opinions took a little more weight than they should have given that she was performing the commissioner function even though she wasn't technically commissioner so I'm hoping that this person um I'm hoping that Lisa Baird maybe with more experience on the business side will have a a stronger foundation to be like, hey guys, this is the direction I think we need to be headed and you can either get behind me or give me a better option, but you can't like undermine me. I'm not saying that's what they did to Amanda Duffy. I'm just saying like, I'm hoping that Baird is able to really establish uh, like a really confident direction for the league. So when new leadership takes over, they, we, they like to think of benchmarks in terms of 30, 60, 90 days. What would you like to see Lisa accomplish in her 90, first 90 days? First 90 days, that'll get us through preseason and then like the first two months of the season. Because she's mm-hmm. supposed to take over March 10th, I want to say. I would like to see her co- like implement whatever plan that they're going to have to deal with the Olympic break, I guess. And like in that 90 days, I would like to see her take the initiative maybe with the league's existing sponsors and really show us all the, all the benefits that theoretically the league is supposed to be getting out of those deals. And then like, I think a lot will also depend on what they announce for the broadcast deal. I think some of some of my opinion is obviously going to depend on like when they announce these deals, what is it going to look like on linear versus all access versus Twitch? Uh-huh. And I'm really expecting her to not flub it with Twitch based on her awareness of like the esports side of things. Maybe it's just because like she has a relative like a son or a brother or somebody who works in it and it's like a peripheral awareness but she doesn't have an excuse to not know or to not have a resource she can go to to be like hey how do I maximize this opportunity oh for sure I mean it's not like she's actually going to be the one setting up coordinating doing all of that stuff but she has to have she has to prioritize it in such a way where it doesn't fail it doesn't flop it becomes the new standard right I would say actually that's probably more important to me than an Olympic plan is seeing how she launches whatever new broadcast deal is going on. Like, is it going to stumble out of the gate? I think we're all a little bit soured on the A&E thing and Lifetime and how that turned out to be, you know, everybody had such high hopes because they were like, oh, it's out of the box thinking. And then it turned out to just be. We actually got put into a box. We put got put into a noon on Sunday box. Exactly. Like, we got taken out of one box and put into another box that we didn't want. Right. On a hidden channel that is really weird to ask to be put on inside of a bar. I, I'm also very intrigued by what sponsors or what 
um, partners she's able to bring over with her. Because I think a lot of times when you are getting or vying for a position at this level, you're also coming with friends. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see in her first 90 days, are we seeing different types of ad boards inside stadiums? Are we seeing national um, uh, partnerships being made? Is it still at the team level and the local level? It kind of goes hand in hand, I think, with the CBS deal of um, marketing and, and advertising. Is there a different or a more purposeful NWSL ad campaign that actually goes out on CBS and is on CBS's website. Um, that's something that I think was always kind of lacking with Annie, that it was never there there was a campaign, but it wasn't like uh you want to watch like they didn't make it exciting. No, the the bar is low because the bar is that dumb pass the ball ad that they gobble yeah. together with all of like Ellen DeGeneres' famous friends. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And so I think I think it ties very much into the TV deal. Is she bringing other big marketing names, big branding names to the table? Well, she was a CMO for New York Public Radio. She's also CMO for the U.S. Olympic Committee. And she was a senior VP for NFL. And she's worked at General Motors and Procter & Gamble, among other places. So it's not like she doesn't have industry contacts she should have a long like pull out the rolodex you're absolutely right like who can she call particularly given she has experience particularly in the sports world it's not like she should be starting from scratch here trying to generate ideas for like what brands are going to generate synergy in the sports genre yeah i i guess that's that that starting from scratch comment is if I had to wring ring my hands about one thing about her, it's she doesn't seem very soccer savvy. And so I do hope that there are people around her who can communicate like there are synergy opportunities. There's synergy opportunities that go beyond MLS and you don't have to necessarily rely on MLS like there's synergy some fantastic synergy opportunities within NFL, within NBA, within WNBA. Um, how do we how do we really start connecting NWSL um, with those other leagues, with those other partnerships beyond just the players having friends? I would love to see her really lean on NWSL becoming best friends with the WNBA and the NBA. It's a match made in heaven, and I'm shocked it has not happened yet. WNBA should definitely be a blueprint for establishing a stronger voice. I feel like WNBA in the past year or so has taken off from a branding perspective and made itself seem like a just a cool, young, a cool young person's league. That makes me sound like such an old fuddy-duddy. A cool young you person's league. You are an league. old fuddy-duddy, though. But, you, you know, are an old soul. Something that... um like the Gen Z and then the after, I don't know what's after that. Is it Zoomers or something? We're past Gen Z now. Gen Z is not the youngest generation anymore, which is terrifying to me because I'm a millennial. So we're like, now we're not even like the next youngest generation. We're like the second youngest. Um, I mean, we're basically boomers. Um, okay. Boomer. We're basically boomers. Um, I don't know what comes after Gen Z because we haven't started hiring them. They haven't hit the workforce yet, but they're in high school and middle school now right like they're, they're entering into college now whatever that generation is called they're coming and they're on their phones and not in a bad way that's how they get their content so switch is great for them yeah whatever um, the tiktok generation is like yeah it seems like exactly. wnba is like really kind of getting to to those kids so i would love to see nwsl getting in on that Absolutely. Like there, I, I think for me, some of my benchmarks for the first 90 days are partnerships and the TV deal mm. and partnerships being beyond just marketing and sponsors and things like that. But like, how do we have better sponsor uh, partnerships with WNBA, um, NBA, uh, all of the, all of the different pro leagues? I mean, even NFL, like JJ Watt, is such a hype man for the NWSL. Let him be. Put him in an ad. 
Let him be. Yeah, just do a my wife ad where he's like a, a spectator or something cheering for Kalia in Chicago, where people are like, "Oh my God, JJ Watt," and he's like, "Well, actually, I'm watching." Or maybe like people are just ignoring him, right? Well, he's at well, some game so that, 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 this is what we do. We do a JJ Watt versus Ertz. Oh yeah, or it's and like anything my wife, like anything your wife can do, my wife can do better, or something like that. <laughs> Like, what if it was husbands, like, doing chores around the house instead? Huh. Yeah. You know? And the two wives are out, you know, actually. Like, what if they just did a gender reversal? Like, not a gender reversal, but, like, a role reversal. Right. You know what would be cute? If they were, like, it looks like they're both preparing for game days. They're getting jerseys laid out. And it turns out they're, like, laying out and ironing their wives' jerseys so that they can put on... Ertz and Ohio jerseys and go to a Chicago game or something like that. Like you think they're going to be playing against each other in an NFL game with their, all their jerseys, but instead they're both putting on Chicago Red Stars jerseys and being like, absolutely. They've, the, they've yeah. got the like thingies that they put under their eyes and they're like getting themselves pumped up and everything. Yeah. Listening to hype music and just like, yeah. you see them in two separate like locker rooms or something. And you think that they're about to go out play an NFL game and then surprise. <laughs> Yeah, they're suddenly in Toyota Park. NWSL, hire us. Or whatever and, you ad know, agency or you Chicago guys Red use. Or Chicago Red Stars. Like, so here's the thing. In order to make that ad, uh-huh. the player, the NFL Players Union or Players Association has to approve those players being in that ad. Which means that M- NWSL needs to be fostering relationships the players association needs to be fostering relationships with all the other players associations. Well, it's a good thing then that Lisa Baird was a senior VP of marketing for NFL. Absolutely. Like these are the things that I'm saying, like these are the dominoes that could fall into place. God, if that any type of commercial like that actually happens, I want my fucking royalties. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we should write together. Like we should put together actual, like a storyboard. We should actually cut this from the podcast <laughs> so that we can sell it, right? And nobody else can take the idea. Uh, like, I was thinking about it. We shouldn't have them be in their own uh, locker rooms. They should just be, like, in their own cars. Right. Well, it's like um, where authors are like, don't – I love that you guys are writing fan fiction about my book or show or whatever, but you cannot send me this shit because then legally I can't use it. So it's like, we can't send this to NWSL because then they can't use it without paying us for it. Dude, pay us for it. Okay. I will tell you, I will tell you the dollar amount and I will not hold it over you. I know that you are on a shoestring budget, NWSL. Right. We will name a very reasonable rate. Absolutely. To write up a little script for you. And we will even be on retainer. Yeah. You can, you can put this podcast on retainer, NWSL. (laughs) The official NWSL podcast. Would that we, make us we, sellouts? Dude, grow the game. I mean, I As would love a, to sell out because that would mean I was selling and then receiving money. Right? Like, I would love to go to Koreatown with you all over the world. I got to buy facial products in Korea and that shit is not cheap. It's all imported from Korea. I mean, I live in Portland and it's not cheap. You yeah. live in Boston. Um, <laughs> no, but like... Okay, so let's say that we were the official podcast of the NWSL. Oh. I would be totally down with that as long as they had no editorial rights. Right, which would not happen because, for, right. like, no more swear words, you know. Well, I iTunes already hates us. Right. No more, like, and this is why we should all have socialized health care and, you know, this... Uh, like abortion is a health concern for all people with uteruses and we need Medicare no more for politicizing. all and we need gun control and kneeling is good and we need to support black athletes blah 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 like yeah alright so we won't never be the official podcast of the NWSL but we absolutely would be idea generators. We can be your on on retainer creatives. Can be your idea guy. Yeah, we we can be your idea people, and you can you can listen to our podcast while you're running on the treadmill, Lisa, and you can be like, "Wow, that is like a good spark of an idea," and we will totally shoot the shit with you. We'll go out to a bar 
in New York or Chicago, wherever this office is going to be. And we'll shoot the shit and we'll fully form that idea. We're really good at that. I don't know what that does for your journalist's integrity. <laughs> it would just mean I would have to quit one job and start another. Can't I mean, be, we could be really good at that job. Couldn't though. be dipping from both pots there, I think. But uh, it would it's mean about, that I was. It's about time. It's it was, about time. It would mean that paid. I was getting another job that was hopefully paying me more. Right. It's it's about time you got paid. Yes. Always. Look, let's just buy Powerball tickets. That'll solve the problem, right? You and I can pool some cash here, buy some Powerball tickets. I mean, we we absolutely can buy Powerball tickets. I don't know if that solves the problem, though. Because in order to solve the problem, we have to win the Powerball. Yeah, it's easy to win the Powerball, right? Well, I would rather go and play roulette and drink all night. <laughs> that, that, to me, is more fun than Powerball. Um, but we could certainly pool our money still. And go to Vegas and play roulette all night and drink free booze I'm all night. I'm not bad at roulette. What do you play? I play roulette and blackjack and then like Texas Hold'em. I I like all of those. Let's do. Let's go to Vegas. Okay, uh, but we also have to do other stuff because I find the strip and the casinos like a nightmarish capitalist hellscape. Oh, for sure. I mean, we can go to Grand Canyon, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have to hit a buffet, because that's actually the only good part. No, we have to have, like, a buffet a day. Yeah. Oh, that's what I did the so, last time I went to Vegas. I ate buffet every day. It was awful. So, like, So, well, buffet a day. That's the name of the t-shirt. Buffet a day. And what's really fun about Vegas is going to some of the water parks. Because mm. who doesn't want to go to a desert to go to a water park right right and then we can we can road trip to the grand canyon we could road trip to the hoover dam isn't las vegas like environmentally disruptive because they have to like divert all these watersheds and stuff in order to make oh, a city absolutely. in the desert Ve- vegas is the worst vegas should not exist there at all <laughs> what's that king of the hill quote when they're like in phoenix and it's 111 degrees in peggy hill she's like this city should not exist. It is a testament to man's arrogance. <laughs> yes, that is probably Vegas. <laughs> I mean, it was it was founded by gangsters. Like, who doesn't want to go to a fucking... Dude, if we go, can we go see um, the really sexy Cirque du Soleil cough? No, I don't like stage performance, like, entertainment. But you're okay with strip clubs. I have not actually been to a strip club since, like, the first and last time I went. Admittedly, it was a bad strip club. Um, and I haven't been to the ones in Portland where, like, the the workers are cool with it, right? Because they're paid appropriately and stuff, and they're, like, unionized. Is that correct? I don't think any of that is correct, but oh, they're no. okay with it. <laughs> like, if I go to a strip club, I want to know that the workers there have, like employment protection and then they're paid and they have like oh you're like the PETA of sex workers don't I don't associate you with PETA all right I'm just just kidding I said it with a smile all right okay so I will find us a appropriate strip it's like so the strip clubs in Portland they are the Find me like a it's, socialist strip club. <laughs> I know that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to picture, and I'm just I'm really struggling with like right. how to find that. I would love because to go. What, what they do is most of the dancers pay a stage fee. Uh-huh. They pay a fee to even be up there. Right. So they have to do a certain number of rotations, and they're hoping to make a certain amount of money per song or per rotation. So once they pay their stage fee. They then get to take home a certain amount of money. Right. I don't think there's anything inherently exploitative about that, right? Because it's the same thing at a hairdresser's. You're essentially renting a chair and hoping you get enough clients to make up the rental fee for your chair. It's just concerns about, like, within any management labor agreement, there's the possibility of exploitation. It's not just... Oh, absolutely. I I mean, I will will out on this, like, not on this podcast, because this is a family-friendly podcast, (laughs) but I would... (laughs) There are bad strip clubs 
there are bad ones. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, so, yes. Yeah, and I like, would never, ever, 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 ever take you to one of those. Yeah, it's not just like strip clubs. I'm, you know, you and I, I think, are both trying to stay on the track where we like go places where the employees are treated right for, for yes. any genre of employment. Yes. But yeah, I think it's, it's, I would love to go to a strip club, for example. Like, are there any where, the strippers themselves have some kind of ownership stake that would be really cool i mean i'm i'm good at the google okay if i find one we anywhere in the world we will book tickets and go right it's not just strippers we all labor should be unionized because we have to stand up to management together (laughs) that's the stuff that's gonna keep us from being the official podcast of nwsl i'm like says the independent writer um, there is a a freelancers freelance writers union actually. Really? Yeah. Are it's you like, in it? Uh, not yet, but it's really cool. They have like a a sliding scale of uh, union fees as well, because they're not really you know cool. it acknowledges that not all freelancers are getting paid, you know, two dollars a word or whatever, whatever absurd rate they used to hand out back in the day to men. So the <laughs> strippers aside, the league has new commissioner. It's a new year. Preseason is almost upon us. I mean, Portland might be starting off with some exciting news. You guys lost Emily Sonnet, and I think people are like, oh, what does this mean for the central defense? And as it turns out, Mark Parsons had an answer ready. What an answer. What an answer. What an answer. Like, if this if this thing goes through... I'm this has been my dream since like 2014. I also don't think it's that bad a deal for Utah, depending on what they're getting from Portland. I mean, Utah just has to have like an overhaul, period. Yeah, they need to, it, it can't just be any piecemeal little move here, or there. It's got to be a total overhaul. And the report, I think from Equalizer, was like, they're definitely getting money out of this, and they might get a player as well, but it's probably not going to be a Sauerbrunn-level player. Right. It's not going to be like Lindsay Horan goes to Utah. Right. Well, that would be fucking nightmare. Wow. <laughs> the lamentations <laughs> from the Rose City. <laughs> um. So, I I'm taking solace in the fact that Becky Sauerbrunn is the marquee player in this trade, and it's not another player who's the marquee player. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think it's going to be really interesting. What Portland's been doing this year, I think being spanked by North Carolina a couple times last year and um, over the last couple, couple seasons, North Carolina just being able to – to run the league, run the table. Portland has to start over and um, come up with an original game plan. And and I'm really, really intrigued to see what Mark Parsons' manager can do. Because um, when he took over the team from Paul Riley uh, back in 2016, he really, he inherited a team. He inherited a squad. He inherited... Uh, major Alex Morgan to Orlando deal that got us Amdine Henri and Lindsey Horan and Megan Klingenberg and Emily Sonnet and like all these players and he he wasn't the architect of that he kind of was I don't want to say any of it was bad um, but he just kind of got it and had to figure out okay now how do I what do I do with it um, I'm really intrigued to see with what he's putting together what it what his actual like game plan is i think we're intrigued for a couple of teams this season because portland definitely took a long hard look at itself after north carolina was just like that's cute that you thought that you were gonna try and hang with us this season they said it to everybody not just to portland everybody they were just like yeah yeah it's great that you came thanks uh by the way get the fuck out of our house um but i think orlando sky blue these teams are definitely sky blue in particular they they've all they've made some moves um it's a make or break season for mark skinner in orlando i think chicago 
to a much lesser extent has made some moves where they're trying to like kind of retool things honestly the only team that i see that really needs an overhaul that hasn't done it in some way shape or form is kind of houston yep doesn't feel like they're really taking the level of measure that they need to take here well them and utah kind of but now utah is like all right we got to make a bold move here and maybe they're gonna get like $150,000 to spread around on a couple of ritzy players or or at least like really solid core players so at the very least uh Utah has a coach now that's still familiar with the league and there seems to have been some friction between Laura Harvey and Deloy Hansen or whoever was more involved with telling her what she could or couldn't spend money on and maybe this change up in the head coach will smooth the path forward a little bit. That would be great. We'll also see how Laura Harvey does with the U20s. I mean, they're, you know, in the middle of qualifying right now, so they seem to be doing fairly well admittedly against CONCACAF. Yeah, I know, was going to say teams, they're so. they're whooping I think last one was almost double digits or maybe it It was was double digits. digits, I'm pretty sure. I think it was like 10 or 11 against Guatemala, possibly. CONCACAF is so much fun. No, no, no. It was uh, 11 nothing against Honduras. And I think Guatemala was in the Canada side of the bracket. Canada Canada was struggling, though. But that's for another time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We've recorded a podcast, pal. We finally did it. Oh, my God. We've been... This was a goal, just so people know. This was a goal of ours to do in Baltimore, and we never actually... We got drunk together. We got drunk together, but we had... We got drunk off of fucking soju, man. (laughs) So much peach soju. So much Korean barbecue. Oh, it was so good, though. It was so good. You're welcome. Oh, I love it when you order food. This is why we need to go to Vegas. We need to go to Vegas so that we can eat good food. Yeah. I just had some really great Korean barbecue in Toronto as well. So I've been... All right. Let's go to Toronto. Yeah. I've been firing on all cylinders recently when it comes to finding Korean barbecue. Man. All right. I need to to travel with you. (laughs) I'll get you the hookup. I know. God damn it. We we got to get better at this Google Calendar thing. In platters of delicious, fatty meats my tummy just rumbled oh bud all right but i've got girls my dessert tonight is girl scout cookies my dessert was sea salt caramel filled kit kats from canada (laughs) well whoop-dee-doo look at who's hoity-toity i I gotta find them here in the united states i don't know if i can it feels like canada has better candies than the united states in general oh they absolutely do a lot of countries have better candies than us yeah, like we get the cheap shit. Except for arrow bars. That shit is junk and I don't care what anybody says. That it's weird. It's just weird chocolate shot through with air bubbles or something. I was gonna say it doesn't have like a big puffy thing in it. Yeah, I don't know. I tried it and I didn't like it. I need to go to Canada. I haven't been to Canada in like six months. You should come to Vancouver Oh my god, we should do Vancouver again. We should return to Vancouver this time when there's not as much pressure of a World Cup surrounding our every move. Yeah, let's go back. Oh, dude, let's do take the show on the road. So here's what I've been thinking. With new job, I don't have to be in an office. I'm thinking, what if I got a Eurovan and like, I got to go see all the national parks while working? Like a camper van that you would convert yeah. to. Yeah, I think you and I both know someone who has one of those. And I've definitely wanted to use one to tour around and go camping. I've been like camping camping where you put everything in a bag and you have to haul it up the mountain with you and set up the tent and like hang up your hand washed underwear like on a clothesline (laughs) that you string between trees and I enjoyed being close to nature but also I want to sleep in a bed. We could do uh, every NWSL stadium. We could start the coma. NWSL driving tour and just like a podcast in each city. Wow. All right. Um, Dude, we we could host a nightly like a night before the game like bar thing. Right. So let's start the spreadsheet after we end the podcast. 
Sorry it took so long <laughs> this time.